Hello, I'm Hannah McInnes, and I had the pleasure of attending the Closters Forum in June to interview some of its participants for a podcast series to discuss the complex issue of plastic pollution. The Closters Forum brings together thought leaders and decision makers in the Swiss Alps to inspire discussions and cultivate collaborations in order to tackle some of the world's most pressing environmental challenges. My name is William Davis and I work for a company called Swire Coca-Cola, uh, which is a bottler for the Coca-Cola company. And we have the franchisee rights for Hong Kong, Taiwan, uh, most of southern China and a swathe of North America going from Seattle down to Arizona. So what does that involve? So basically a franchisee license involves the manufacturing, uh, distributioning and selling of the Coca-Cola products. So all, basically all their soft drinks. And are you changing their packaging? The way the Coca-Cola system works, and system means in a sense the company as well as the bottlers, is they work together on problems. So Coca-Cola have announced a policy called World Without Waste, which is effectively a, a policy designed to address primary packaging. Um, and specifically about the recycled content within the packaging, um, about collecting packaging, um, but also in a sense of how they can partnership with other organisations to address the issue. They are one of the biggest culprits, aren't they, in this problem? Every picture you see is bottles of Coca-Cola, that sort of thing, washing up on beaches. Do they, does it feel like that's where the buck lies? Um, I think in fairness, it's, it's when, when one talks about plastic packaging, um, there are so many different polymers that make up primary packagings. Um, Coca-Cola is obviously a very well-known brand and has a very distinctive shaped bottle. Um, but if you look at it in the sense of weight of uh, primarily PET that they use versus the weights of plastics or polymers that other people use, yes, it would be considered a big one. But when you come to talk about impact, then uh, I would argue that actually probably Coca-Cola is, is, is not one of the big ones. What I mean by that is if you have one tonne of PET, that may equate to, and these numbers are wrong, but it's, it's, it's to give the example, that may equate to, let's say, 100 million PET bottles. But if you take one tonne of another type of plastic and you equate that into single-use, let's say, shampoo sachets, that could be one billion sachets which has a far far larger impact um, so no I think in a sense of back to your original question yeah it's fair that that coca-cola and the system takes its share of responsibility but I think there's a lot of companies out there not not just coca-cola what does what you do involve what's the message you're trying to communicate okay so I, I look after sustainability for the company um, and that encompasses the environmental pillars so water stewardship obviously packaging, uh, climate change, but specifically kind of decarbonisation, onto some of the social areas like safety, uh, like gender equality, diversity and inclusion, uh, and our community and our community reach. Um, I'm not so much in the, the messaging side of it. We're more in the sense of trying to have a very clear strategy with targets underpinned by KPIs to deliver our goals. So, for instance, in primary packaging, which is obviously what we're kind of here to talk about, you know, is how we can reduce it, um, how we can come up with other ways of dispensing drinks except in single-use primary packagings. It's finding out ways of how we can increase the recycled content within not just PET but within our aluminium uh, packaging and also within glass. How can we do those two specific things? 
Well, increasing the recycled content within PET is absolutely possible. So you're starting to see water go from, you know, basically different levels of, of recycled content up to 100% of, of recycled content. Uh, it's slightly harder on the sparklings because of the, the, the barrier properties, but they're going from, you know, 10%, 20% up to 50%. Uh, aluminium is probably at about 60%. Um, and will be taken up further. On returnable glass, it's, it's about 40%. So some of the levels are already quite high. What do you want to be telling people here? What do you want to be your message here? Well, I don't, I don't, don't think I'll be telling anybody anything. But I find these occasions very useful to kind of interact with you know, people like the Pew Foundation that, that presented earlier or to hear the, the comments about possibly the health linkages to plastics from Denise. Um, and that allows me to go back and resonate these messages internally within our company and say, look, we must accelerate, you know, what we're doing here. So it's, it's that side of it which I find very useful. How long have you been doing it? I've been looking after sustainability for about three years for this company. What do you think are the greatest changes that you've presided over or the greatest things you've seen happen, the kind of most positive for the future? The whole topic has become mainstream from it becoming not a minor issue but but something that you know collectively we all woke up to it now very much feels like there's a huge amount of desire and willingness to put in place real tangible policies to deliver on on getting rid of this problem or moving away from the problem so that's been a huge huge wake-up I think for business. It's interesting because everyone I'm speaking to today who works in sustainability the message seems to be that actually it really does matter as consumers the awareness is everything because you're listening to your consumers more than ever and it's really important yes but i would also say there is a slight danger of the unintended consequences oh, so at the moment in the moment there's a lot of focus let's say on single-use plastics um, and in a sense the vilification of plastics as a whole uh, but i think we've got to be quite careful that when we come to try and solve these problems we don't go off and let's say take a packaging that has a huge carbon footprint or results in a lot of extra water usage or results in change of land use because they've decided to go to a plant-based monomer. Do you think that's happening? No, at the moment I think people are still coming to grips with collection and I think collection is probably one of the hardest parts of, of the puzzle but I, I, I think it is a, it's a real danger that I think people need to be cognizant of. How does collection and where we put our bottles, how do you feed into that? We have all kind of woken up to the fact that once we consume something and traditionally we've put it in the, the rubbish or garbage, it's come under some kind of municipal solid waste policy that's controlled by the government, by the city, by the municipality, etc. that has effectively gone to, to landfill or incineration. And I think we've realised that <coughs> We're throwing away many, many, many materials that actually have quite a good intrinsic value. Um, and there's no reason why they should be disposed of, but they could quite quite easily, if they're separated at source and have low contamination, to be reused or repurposed. Um, not necessarily in the, in the perfect circular economy, but certainly they could be downcycled or, or certainly have another e economic life. At a cost... <coughs> Definitely, and I think that goes back to uh, designing for total life cycle. Um, is that what you're doing? 
part of the conversation yeah. yes yeah so tell me a little bit about that how how do you reduce the cost and stick to the environmentally friendly loop system once something's been consumed we are one of many stakeholders that that have a responsibility to try and look after that and take it back so <coughs> excuse me so from our our business let's say you finish that coca-cola in a pet bottle that pet bottle gets thrown in a bin well under something like extended producer responsibility we would try and influence local government whoever operates municipal solid waste to have source separation and from that source separation then we can take back that product and effectively recycle it and and repurpose it is that happening are they listening local yeah, governments I mean, for, for example in in hong kong uh we're in the process of building a pet recycling facility um, and we are trying to negotiate with the, all the different stakeholders post-consumption to put in place a collection policy to take all those bottles back. Um, in China, uh, in especially in the tier one cities in the highly urbanized area, the, the collection rate of PET we think is pretty high because it's got a high intrinsic value. Um, that is being downcycled to be used in the textile business. Um, in America, it's quite confusing because a lot of states all have all have different policies on it. Um, but if we look at, let's say, the OBRC in Oregon, uh, it's quite a sophisticated deposit state where a lot of the bottles are collected and repurposed. So, yeah, it's coming in time. Are you optimistic about the next three years? Three years. Yeah. How's it going to pan out? I'm optimistic from the side that I think awareness has arrived. Um, Technically, I don't know fully how one can turn off the so-called tap of of plastics. And I would argue, you know, a lot of plastics actually have a, a very good side to them. If, in the sense, the next three or four years, the world collectively can address the collection issue, then I think that would be a huge step in the right direction. I'm optimistic and I hear the awareness, awareness, and it's great and there's conferences like this, but I still struggle to work out how that awareness translates. I think from a fast-moving consumer good company, awareness hopefully will lead to a change in behaviour. And companies are good when behaviour changes, they adapt pretty quickly. So the emphasis is there, is there to change. Whether we as, as a human race can change from our desire to consume as much as we consume in the convenience that we want at a price point we want, I think that's a subject for a greater debate. I would hope that people view the topic of plastics and specifically single-use plastics and the decisions that are made in the nexus of impact, decarbonisation and water usage. So one has to look through that lens to make the right choice. And what I mean by that is if you, let's say, moved away from a plastic bottle that was collected and was repurposed and you moved to, let's say, an aluminium can that was 100% virgin aluminium, one's carbon footprint would go up a great, great, great deal. So I think just one needs to be cognizant of the, of the choices, choices that we make. And, you know, for people listening, don't, don't think I'm defending the plastic bottle. I'm not. I'm just I'm coming from the point of view of every decision we make has consequences on other things. And therefore, so long as we're aware of all of that, we should make the decision we, wanted, we want to for the reasons that we've, we understand. Okay. Thank you very much.